Hi and welcome once again to the Agape Methodist Church Daily Devotions Podcast. As mentioned before, I decided to have one more session on Saturday. But I've also left the most difficult parable for the last. Let's turn now to Matthew chapter 13, reading from verse 47 to 52. Matthew 13, 47 to 52. And let us pray. Father, speak to us your truths. That as a like a owner of a house who brings out the storeroom new treasures as well as old, you bring to our minds the things that you have taught us. That Lord we may indeed discern wisely your will. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 to 52. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus tells this last parable in this series to the disciples, who were many of whom were fishermen, told them a parable of a man who threw a net, let down the net and caught all sorts of fish. And there they could have a picture of what was a common thing, that the fishermen would then sort out the good fish from the bad fish. What Jesus was making very clear to all his hearers was that there will be a judgment. It will not be just a continuation of life to life with no discrimination, no differentiation, between the good and the bad. But that at the end of time, in the last days, there will be a separation between the good and the bad. Judgment is inevitable. But that raises a troubling question. How does God judge? Is there criteria for judgment? Does being a Christian make all the difference? When I say, sinner's prayer is that the one key that makes all the difference between life and death or does jesus have a different set of judgments often we unthinkingly accept that just saying the sinner's prayer makes all the difference but it's so important to look at the gospels again and again to immerse ourselves in the gospel to understand the heart of jesus and hence the heart of god what does god really look for Of course, we also need to look beyond the Gospels and we have to look in the writings of Paul to understand what grace and what forgiveness is. But at the end of the day, Jesus, God, looks for the righteous, not just the people who have done right. Some may have done a lot of wrong things and yet righteous in their hearts, what they have become, and the wicked. That there is a differentiation. Just a few days ago, I had a chat with a lady who was a stranger to me but in the course of our conversation she found out that I was a pastor she was very interested in Christianity 
She said she had heard some things about Christianity from friends, but found it difficult to read. Well, she started reading Matthew, the genealogy, and gave up after a few names. But she had also heard different things that, that God would punish, would destroy cities with all the children and women and everyone else. And she asked me, was that true? Because it kind of gave her a strange, a bad feeling that God, though he, of course, as God, he can do anything he wants, but wasn't that rather harsh? And I explained to her that, yes, those were things in the Old Testament which had been done for various reasons, but that God could, was revealed in Jesus Christ, that we could understand God's nature in Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ was so different. He was not a harsh, judgmental God. He was not a cruel, rageful God. Rather, he loved us more than himself and would give himself for us. After a conversation, she said, Well, thanks very much, but I think I still prefer Buddha. Because Buddha shows compassion. He shows righteousness. He tells us how to be good. I encouraged her to continue to find out more about Jesus. Because I said that, Jesus is the one God who loves you more than himself, will give himself for you. She agreed. But I was thinking, perhaps at the back of her mind also, was not just the things that she had heard about God's harshness, but that she, she had seen the examples of the harshness of Christians, the hypocrisy of Christians, saying one thing and living another. Reminded me of the many people who had suffered greatly under Christians, the Crusades where Muslims were mercilessly slaughtered. But even in our day, where religion, Christianity often casts people out because of who they are, by birth or by, by conduct. The harshness of Christianity. It reminded me also of how the West colonized the East. And they often converted people at the, at the end of a gun. And I thought about these people who saw Christianity, not as who saw Christ not as a kind, loving God, but as a God who was a bully, as a God who would exploit, as a God who would convert people just to take away all their wealth and whatever they had. What if people rejected God, not because they hated God, but because they hated the image that was projected by Christians? That's what I learned was happening in the West, that for many people in the West, whether in the United States or in Europe, people rejected God not because they didn't like the true and living God, but because they rejected that which was portrayed by Christians. My question then is, if God chose, and he certainly has to choose, would he choose someone of another religion, of another creed, but whose hearts resonated with what was in God's heart? Or would he choose someone who calls himself a Christian? We often assume then that as long as we call ourselves Christians, we are safe. And then we look at those of other faiths and wonder whether they are saved. And so that is a crucial question. If someone of another faith embraced everything, the righteousness, the humility, the goodness, that Jesus stands for, would that person be nearest of the kingdom of God? 
the one who claimed that he was on Jesus' side but only displayed hatred. Let's look then at the teachings, at what we have learned so far in the previous chapters. From the start of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 5, we look first at the things, at the Beatitudes, the people, the groups of people whom God had a very soft spot for. The first group were not virtues, rather the first group were conditions of the people. The first was poor in spirit. In Luke, they're called the poor. And I'm sure there is a very close correlation between the poor and the poor in spirit. Because the poor in spirit are those who feel helpless, who feel they are no longer able to do anything because of the circumstances they face, exactly like the poor. Jesus had deep, deep love for the poor. And he says, blessed are the poor, for they shall have the kingdom of heaven. Which means that Jesus was looking for everyone in the condition of hopelessness and helplessness and saying, I will come into their lives and I will rule. But here's the irony. Most often, the rich are Christians and the poor are not. Even in Singapore, a large, large proportion of the rich are Christians, while only a tiny fraction of the poor are Christians. What then does God do? Many years ago in the 90s, I, my family and I took a holiday in India. And because of the exchange rate, of course, we could live a bit more comfortably. We went to a restaurant, ate simple food at the restaurant, but the table next to ours was another family stranger, but they obviously were Christian because before the meal came, they bowed down and prayed, thank God. But this family spent lavishly. They had expensive wines, they had most expensive food, and they barely finished the food. They ate a little bit and then got something else. Obviously, they had so much money to throw away. And then they were Christians. And I thought to myself, these people are guaranteed a place in heaven. But the thousands who are camped in cardboard boxes outside around that restaurant do not know of the gospel. Does that mean that they will go to hell, that they lived their short lives painfully in hellish conditions only to go to hell after this hellish condition on earth? And these people, these families, including us, who were privileged, then go on to live in heaven. It didn't make sense. It doesn't jive, it doesn't jive with a God whose heart was for the poor. And that's, that forces us to think. But secondly, that this is good news to the poor. It was not bad news. It was not like, well, too bad if you haven't heard the gospel. Too bad if you haven't chosen Jesus. Sorry if you have heard terrible things about Jesus. But that's the bad news, that because you haven't got Jesus, you're going to hell. I wonder, really, is that how Jesus taught it? Was that what reflects the heart of Jesus? Was not Jesus passionate for the poor and for the poor in spirit? And that raises the question then, does God really choose based on creed? The second group of people were those who mourn, the sad, the broken-hearted. Jesus had a very soft spot for them too. He kept looking for them because he wants to comfort them. 
See, the gospel is a gospel of good news, not a gospel of condemnation, not a gospel of bad news. What would Jesus do to the multitudes who have not heard of God who wants to rule over them, not with an iron fist, but rule over them with burdens that are light and a yoke that is easy? That the good news for the poor and the, the broken-hearted is that God wants to be their God, not to not to lord it over them, but God wants to be their God, that he might be their servant, that he might serve them. And then the third group, the meek, the ones who dare not fight, will not fight their way to the top. And Jesus says these people will inherit the king, will, will inherit the earth. What of these? What of the many people who do not accept Jesus, who are not Christian, but who Peace, who are peacemakers, who love righteousness, who are merciful. What about these people then who hunger and thirst to find a God of righteousness and reject Jesus because what they have heard is that he is an unrighteous and a cruel and a judgmental God? Will these people then, when they get to heaven, when they actually see Jesus, and then they say, wow, this is the God that I've long belonged for but could not find because I had not heard of this good God. But now that I have reached the end of my life and I have seen what God is like, I know that my heart resonates with that. Would that not be the way God judges? Jesus very clearly talked about false and true disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom, but whoever does the will of the Father. It's quite clear. Creed itself does not give us anything. Not anyone, everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Only those who do the will of the Father. And then Jesus continues with the narrow path, the narrow gate and the broad gate. He says exactly the same thing. Walk that narrow gate because the broad gate will lead to destruction. It is the choice of a gate, not choice of a creed that makes the difference. The longing in the heart for the righteousness of God. Everyone who longs for God, everyone who wants to walk in that way of goodness, of righteousness. Sure, we will all be sinners. Everyone of every creed will be sinners. And we all need forgiveness. But wouldn't the ones who long to for God who walk in God's ways be the ones whom God chooses? You see, what we know is this, that Jesus has a preference for sinners. Not that the sinners have priority over the righteous, no, but, but that Jesus constantly his heart is always yearning for the sinners. He tells parables like the prodigal son and the lost sheep and the lost coin. He goes to the pub and he eats with the worst of sinners and then he says, but they need a doctor. Jesus looks for these people that he might heal them, that he might give hope to their lives. I have no answers to what the judgment is or what the criteria for judgment is. At the end of the Gospels at Matthew 25, Jesus tells the story of the sheep and the goats and we'll re revisit this question. 
But what we need to know for us who are Christians is this, that the creed does not save us. A yearning for God saves us. True, we will never be perfect. I'll never be perfect. None of us will at the end of our lives. And that's not the criterion either. It's a heart that longs to do God's will. It's a heart that yearns for God. C.S. Lewis gave this analogy in the last battle, in the Chronicles of Narnia. I encourage everyone to read this book, The Last Battle. It's in the whole compendium, The Chronicles of Narnia, and all of them are worth reading, but The Last Battle in particular. And he tells the story of a man who goes to the end of the earth, the, the end of time, and he meets God finally. And he says, I knew you in another name, by another name but you were the one that my heart longed for. Isn't this God himself? Whether we know him by name or not, what we long for is his character, or what we reject is his character. Many of us would not want God to rule because we are selfish, because we'd rather have all things to ourselves. We'd rather others be poor and we be rich. We'd rather others suffer while we enjoy ourselves. There are those also who long, like the Magi at the beginning of Matthew, who long for a shepherd, not for themselves even, but a shepherd for people whose hearts were so tender they went to look for a God who would care for his people. There are people who long to know God who have not known his name. But when they reach the end of their lives and they reach the end of time, when they see God and they say, I recognize you, you have been the longing in my heart, will that not be the criterion for which God chooses the righteous from the wicked? It's something that I really don't have clear answers for. It's something that we need to continue praying Continue to ruminate and to think about. And most of all, to keep reading the Gospels again and again and again. And finding the answers, allowing the, the heart of Christ to, to soak into us. And then to understand what really Christ wants. What really God looks for. Let us pray. Father, forgive us for our complacency. That often we think once saved, always saved, once we have said the sinner's prayer, that's, we've got it made, regardless of how we live. But God, there is judgment. And there is a point where we will look at us and not ask what good have you done, but what have you become? Who are you? Have we become people who love compassion, people who love mercy, people who love righteousness? Have our hearts been longing for a God who is a righteous God, who is a generous God and a compassionate God? Or have we hardened our hearts so that we care not for anyone, so that we, our hearts do not resonate with yours? Father, deliver us from complacency. But help us still to continue to spread your good news. Not the news of 
of condemnation, but the news of you coming to people that you may lift our burdens, that you are the God of the light burden and the easy yoke. You are the God who will give peace and restoration to the soul. You are the God who give yourself to each of us because you love the worst sinner more than you love yourself. Let this, Lord, be the good news. That all around us may hear of you, but all around us may see of you in our lives also. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know that in some many ways this was controversial. And, well, don't stone me, but do take time to think through some of these issues what Jesus really taught. I'll see you again tomorrow. I really hope to see many of you. Uh, I've got two good reasons why you should come. First is Holy Communion. There is Holy Communion that you cannot take at home. Do come and join us that we might remember God who loves us more than he loved himself and gave himself for us. But the other reason is that we really want to have time with you again. We miss you. In fact, I don't know many of you because I haven't seen you yet. But your friends in church do miss you. Um, and as I announced last Sunday, please take time after the service to chat. Uh, chat for a while or go to a coffee shop and have a drink or even have lunch. So that we can re-establish old ties and also to get to know each other. So I encourage you, as many of you as can make it to church, please come. We are no longer encouraging people to come once a month. We are encouraging all of you to come every week that we might have fellowship together and may take the Lord's Supper together. Well then, see you then. God bless you. Goodbye.